0: Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Bible, open up to three different passages. Uh, if you didn't, these passages will be a good way for you to know where we're at in the message. Uh, We're going to look at 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 4. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6. 2 Peter chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 4, and Matthew chapter 6. And while you're turning there, uh, let me kind of clue you into the video you just saw because this is a film from 1986. Right? Probably about half of you weren't even born. Uh, I can't recommend the film because it's got a few things in it, you know, that as a pastor I wouldn't recommend, but if you want to view the clip, you can go to YouTube. If you want to view the whole thing, you could probably find it on the History Channel or something because it's a pretty old film, pretty old. Uh, for those of you that are with us online, we're so glad you're here this morning. I know that a lot of our church families traveling or couldn't be here for some reason, maybe a New Year's Eve or whatever it was, but you couldn't be here. Uh, But you weren't able to see the whole video for copyright, and you saw a screen that acknowledged that. Uh, But the the picture frame that you got of uh, this Australian outback crocodile poacher, which was Crocodile Dundee, holding that knife, that's really what I wanted you to see. And so the whole scene, you know, he's just minding his own business, kind of walking with his girlfriend through New York City, and all of a sudden some hoodlums confront him. And they pull out a switchblade knife, give me your wallet. And of course, his girlfriend, you know, is a little bit uh, more uh, savvy to New York City, not thinking out of the box. And she's like, you should give him your wallet because he's got a knife. And I love his response. He just chuckles, right? She's afraid. He just chuckles and he's like, that's not a knife. And then he pulls out this giant hunting knife. That's a knife. For all of you pacifists, listen, stay with me. I love you. This is going to be a great message. But hang in here with me. And I'll tell you why. I, I thought about that scene as I was preparing uh, for the message today. By the way, of those of you that are family, it's my first time back on stage uh, for a month. And uh, I'm so appreciative of, yeah. But here, here's where I really want the applause. I'm so appreciative for Pastor Brandon and Pastor Spencer and Pastor Jenny and the other pastors. Yeah, they did a phenomenal job. Uh, to give me the opportunity to take some time to refresh and refocus. But I've been waiting for this Sunday. And I kind of thought about this little clip and I thought, you know, that feels a lot like where we're at today, right? Just kind of walking through life, just trying to do what we're supposed to do and, and, you know, stay in in the pathway to, to get to where we need to get to. When all of a sudden, it feels like out of nowhere, either a news headline or something that pops up on one of the social media streams, or some you know some, uh, some big big event happens in the world, some catastrophe, another po- potential pending pandemic, or an economic threat, or the inflation that's coming in 2023, and the, the food shortage that's going to be right there with it because of supply chain and agricultural issues, and, and then the global you know, and the political chaos and the, the pending potential wars. And, and I'm not marginalizing any of these. they're, they're real stuff right? But we're we're marching along just trying to have a wonderful life and and work as hard as we can, and we keep getting confronted with all of these things. And and if you're not careful, I'm telling you, they, they can start weighing heavy on you. Some of them can take your breath away right away. Some of them can cause immediate frustration and anger. Some can cause a lump to jump up to your throat and you feel some fear or some insecurity, mostly about the what ifs, like, what if this all happens? What if one or more of them happen? How does that affect me? I have no idea how I would navigate that. For, for some, it, it's a little more challenging than others. But here's what I, what I was thinking of and what I've, I've been hearing the Lord say to me. Because each one of these things, I pay attention. I'm looking at these things. My head's not in the sand. But every single time I, I go to one of these things, I come back to the word of God. And I don't know about you, but I keep hearing the Holy Spirit whisper to me, that's not a knife. This is a knife. And, and I, maybe I'm the only one in the building. And if so, I'm going to preach myself into happiness and encouragement today. But is there anybody else here that on January the 1st, 2023, you're kind of looking and thinking, yeah, I think we could use a bigger knife. Let me see your hand. Anybody else? Yeah. Right. So I'm not trying to hype you up. I want to bring you back to what I have been hearing the Holy Spirit say over and over and over and over again with each and every scenario, with every world problem, and that is do not be afraid, do not be deceived, that's not a knife, this is a knife. And I want us to come back and, and to look this morning at how do we begin to form a better strategy? And, and, and you could put it this way, you know, how do we get access to that bigger weapon, How do we get access to that better knife? I don't mean just to win a victory, but I don't know about you. I want to be the guy, not in a playful, marginalizing, you know, I'm just kind of in a denial state, but I want to be the guy who looks at the reality and I hear a chuckle on the inside, like, that's not a knife. God's got a knife. God's got some weaponry. Now, some of you are still, you know, a little bit trying to come out of the last year and, and maybe you're, you know, you're still wrestling through exhaustion and you've got challenges. And so let me just kind of refresh your memory. If you're part of Lakeshore, none of what we're going to read, and there's a whole long list that we could have kept going, is going to be unfamiliar. We live in these themes, but if you're relatively new, or maybe you're, you know, you've kind of been a little shell-shocked, or you're just a little ground down because of the, of the holidays, let me remind you of some of those things that the Bible says that you can feel the, the, the undercurrent. You can feel the support system. You can hear a whiff of, that's not a knife. This is a knife. And it brings the confidence of the Lord. Listen to Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon formed against you shall prosper, ever. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, listen, you shall condemn. Why? For this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Once you remember that word righteousness all the way at the end of the message, I'm going to bring it back and we're going to see something very real and very relevant. But let's grab a couple of others. Romans 8:37. Yes, in all of these things, and if you want to go look at your Bible, he, he listed a number of the things that I just kind of tossed out there are in that list. What if this happens, and what if that happens, and what if the world collapses, and what if everybody comes against you, and what if it's not just people in the natural, what if the spiritual realm just decides to target you, to curse you, and, and mess up your life, and all these things that are listed in there, and, and yet his, he, this is what he says, but in all of these things, we're more than conquerors through him that love us. Not barely, barely squeaking by, we're like over-the-top conquerors through him who loves us. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 and 58. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Other translation says, who always causes us to triumph in every situation. We're not losing in any of them. God wins all. And because we're part of his family and part of his kingdom, then we win all right along with him. Verse uh, uh, 58 keeps going and says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 2 Corinthians 3 and uh, verse uh, chapter three says, for though we walk in the flesh, chapter 10 rather, verse three and four says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh for or because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but, in, but are mighty in God for the pulling down of stronghold. If you ever see a headline and you feel like, yeah, but my hands are tied, there's nothing I can do about it. In the natural true. In the spiritual, not true. You have bigger weapons. You, you can get things done behind the scenes. You can get things done for your family, for the people that you love, for your church, for your community, and possibly for your, you know, for your state and for your nation if you'll begin to employ these weapons. But if we get talked out of it, well, there's nothing we can do, then we'll do nothing. But the Bible says we have a bigger strategy, we have a bigger weapon, we have a bigger knife, and this weapon is absolutely guaranteed, and it works every time that we allow it to work. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for or because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, or at least we're not supposed to but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to to withstand in the evil day and having done everything you're supposed to do to stand. Now we could just keep on going because the list is consistent and it is plentiful All the way through the Bible telling us the same truth, no matter what happens in this world, no matter what happens in our life, no matter what the enemy throws at us, no matter what circumstances or challenges kind of come up on us, whether it's a slow ramp or it hits us in the face, First thing in the day, the Bible says that God's power, God's provision, God's protection, God's direction, all of that, by the way, is in the big category called grace, is not just enough, it's more than enough. As in the Greek word mega means a surplus, like you could never use all of God's grace in 10 lifetimes. If the world was at its worst and throwing things at you, you could never outspend the grace of God that's been made available to you. And just so you know, it's not just this religious notion. It's not just something that kind of helps you feel warm and fuzzy and you get a little more inspiration to to approach another day. This is tangible, measurable, exponential, experiential stuff that actually makes a, 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 a notable difference in your everyday life. It's the kind of stuff that when you're doing what God tells you to do, other people are like, how are you doing that? How come everybody else is in a panic? How come everybody else, you know, is worried and cowering and you're not? I'm not talking about putting your head in the sand and living in denial and just pretending like none of this exists. That's not what the Bible ever says. We should be the most attentive, the most sober-minded, the most, uh, the, the most understanding people on the face of the planet. But we're not afraid. But we're not insecure. Not always knowing in the moment what to do, but knowing that we know somebody who knows what to do in the moment. And realizing that we never are caught short. And this is what I want us to understand. Now again, if you're part of Lakeshore, if you've been here for a little bit, nothing that I'm saying to you is surprised. Everything is truth. We've not only just you know, talked about it, we've studied it in, in some detail in the Bible, but if you're part of lecture, here's what else you all, also know, and that is that none of this is automatic. When you get born again, it's given to you by inheritance. In other words, you become part of the family and all of the access to God's grace, all the access to God's undying commitment to protect and to provide and to lead and to guide as a good heavenly father, that automatically belongs to you just like it belongs to every newborn in the world. The the parents automatically bestow their heart and all of their goods to make sure that child's life is everything it should be. And that's true in the kingdom of God. However, as you begin to grow in the Lord, accessing all of those benefits is not automatic you don't just get to wake up in the morning and all this thing all this grace begins to just roll out you have a partnership let's call it a relationship that will unlock this for you and that's what we're going to talk about today so today i want to talk about uh uh, how do we access god's grace uh, again if you want to go back to the clip how do we get to the to where we have a smile on our face we have confidence in our heart not because we're living in denial not because well we just don't watch the news anymore well we just don't listen to any of that stuff well you kind of have to listen to some of it cuz you, you should be should be knowing what's happening in the world okay but listen but how do you live above that not with a falsified emotion but how do you live above it so that you are absolutely confident? Yeah, that, that's, that's kind of scary. That's really bad. That's really serious. However, we have a bigger knife. We have a better strategy. I, I don't mean like we just hope that we do. We, we know that we know and we live in the reality that we really do. And we're going to look today about how do we tap into this grace of the Lord. And, and listen, I, this is not a religious lesson, but I'm telling you, this is a game changer for you no matter what your resolutions were, even if they're, they're unspoken because they're all in your heart and you don't like to you know, say them anymore because you never really get them done. And, and, but, but the hope's burning eternal and you're kind of hoping this year will be different. This is your foundation to say, this is how, from a biblical standpoint, to begin to walk your way confidently into victory from the inside, confidence, confidence, A bright outlook in the future, knowing that the Bible promises your best days are in front of you. And then how do you how do you begin to live so you can see that a reality? We're gonna look at how do we access the grace of God. We're gonna form three questions, really relevant questions we're all wrestling with, and then we're gonna answer those questions straight from the word of God. Here's the question, just so you can kind of see them coming. Number one, where do we find God's grace? Number two, how do we access God's grace? And number three, how often should we access or do we need to access God's grace? So here's question number one, where do we find God's grace? And I've already mentioned, again, if you're part of the the Lakeshore family, we've already studied from the word of God. You are are well-foundationed in the fact that God's grace, all of these gifts, all of these promises, protection and, and provision and healing and guidance and confidence and, and all of these things that are, that are real relevant things we desperately need. All of those things were already paid for, 100% paid for, lock, stock and barrel by the Lord Jesus Christ and that's why they're now classified in his promises under grace You cannot earn them. They're a gift. If you try to earn them, you kind of mess the whole thing up. You can't earn it. You can just accept it and you can allow it to become enfolded into your life and to do what God wants it to do. But all of these gifts are absolutely 100% paid for. And if you're a born again believer, maybe you say, well, I'm not really a great Christian. Doesn't matter. You're a son or a daughter of the Lord Jesus and all of this belongs to you by inheritance. You have access to it, full access. Nobody can stop you from accessing as much of the grace of the Lord as you're willing to let in except for you. And you have full access. However, here's a couple of things about grace that we should categorize. Number one, grace is not a spiritual vending machine can't just toss a 25 cent prayer, you know, once in a while in there and expect these spiritual supernatural things to happen in your life. It doesn't really work like that. In fact, it never works like that. That's a deception that Pastor James says. You're hearing and you're catching, you know, a truth about God's word, but you're not doing or living the things that that truth is teaching you. And therefore you're thinking, well, but if I just pray enough, if I just say it enough times, if I just beg God, if I cry a lot, you know, if he can seize my heart is really sad. And and I'm really desperate. Then that's how God. That, that's not how God works. That, that's not what the Bible says. Here's the second thing: grace is not something that we only access, or you should only access in crisis. It's not something. About, well, well, I know when I have a need. Well, that, that's not what grace is for. It certainly includes that. But it's not just a crisis-oriented, like it's the you know the, the spiritual first aid kit. And if you're really in trouble, and you pop that open, you can find some Band-Aids and you know antiseptics and things. It's not really for that. Grace was given to us to experience and to enjoy what it means to live a life that is in relationship with the creator of the whole universe on an everyday basis. I don't mean spiritual only. I don't mean just emotionally feeling better about yourself and about life. I don't mean just feeling a little more inspired and encouraged because you know the man upstairs is smiling on you. I mean real-time interaction, real-time assistance and partnership, like you're living with somebody who really loves and cares about you and is your best friend. That's what the Bible teaches us, and it's not hard to do. We're all doing it in some way, shape, or form. We just haven't related back to this. So we can say it this way. Grace is the way that you live. Grace is a lifestyle. Grace is discovering that there's a rhythm in your communication. There's a rhythm in the way that you go about your life, and you're growing with with the Godhead. You're growing with your heavenly Father you're growing in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and you're growing in a relationship with the Holy Spirit. This is what 2 Peter chapter one talks about. Here's what it says in verse two. Grace and peace are multiplied to you. How many of you can use a little more grace in your life? All right, about three of you, great. The rest of you are good, okay? Maybe I should ask again. How many of you could use a little more grace in your life? Okay, a few more, a few more jumping in. That's a wise move, by the way, Because it's all out, it's yours. It's like this treasure chest and you don't take advantage. I heard an illustration one time about you know a man who went on a cruise and he barely had enough money to purchase the ticket. And he got there and and didn't really have any extra spending money. So excursions are out. But the whole trip, you know, he kept seeing people going to these to, to the beautiful buffets and, and and the snack bars and then of course the the wonderful dinners at night. And he's like you know trying to survive on little tiny crackers and and and, and dry goods that he snuck onto the ship and 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 he finds out at the end when one of the stewards said, hey, how did you enjoy your cruise? He said, it it was really great. I so enjoyed. The ship was beautiful. Next time I'm going to try, you know, to pay a little extra so I can have the meals. And the steward looked at him and said, they were all included in your fare. Now listen, that's kind of humorous, right? That's exactly how Christians are living right now. I'm telling you, there is a buffet of relevant, real time, like right in the moment, things that, they're not just things you would like. Let me say it this way. As we get closer and we get deeper into the last days, there's things you're going to desperately need. We're there, by the way. I'm not being an alarmist. And I don't want to rain on anybody's New Year's Day here. I'm trying to encourage you to say, we're not living in a playful world. And the world is not just about politics And it's not just about cancel culture and it's not just about social justice and racial equity. Listen, the world is spiritual right now, hyper-spiritual. Everything that's going on behind a lot of the things that are causing disruption and division, that's not just, you know, someone's making bad decisions or someone's greedy or, you know, someone's trying to be sneaky behind the scenes. This is demonically inspired. I'm not making this up. The Bible tells us this. You can almost read the script. And you can almost just walk down the list and say, yeah, 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 yeah. It's not the first time in history it's happened, but it's the f- first time in history it's happened at this intensity, at this acceleration, and it's the first time that it's becoming very, very obvious all at the same time. Listen, we, we, we're not going to be living on the, on the planet. I don't know if Jesus is coming back you know, in the next hour, in the next six months, in the next tw- 20 years. I, I don't pretend to know that. What I do know is the world we're living in if you don't understand the grace of God and you're not willing to just step on into his secret place, step on into his shelter so he can wrap his arms around you and say, just lean back on dad. You're gonna be okay. I'm gonna walk you through. If you don't begin to understand that and build those kinds of spiritual disciplines and mechanics right now, then I, I, I just, I don't even know how to predict what it looks like for us walking forward cuz this is real serious and real sobering time and the bible says this is a great available to us not only that wherever you're at right now i can promise you you haven't reached the limit grace and peace can be multiplied in your life not just a couple of layers added multiplication man that starts moving pretty fast multiplied in your life but here's how it happens in the knowledge of god and of jesus our lord now I don't want to get deep into a lot of words today, but I'm going to to look at some of them because we can gloss over the top of this word knowledge is one. It's this Greek word, epinosis, that means, first of all, we're talking about precise knowledge, not the mechanics, not that you have to exegete, you know, the Greek and the Hebrew and be a a religious scholar, but you have to know some things on a very personal level about this God that you're in a relationship with. It's not broad knowledge. Ah, you know, God's love. What, What does that even mean? More importantly, what does it mean to you? I mean, are, are you serving God just to kind of stay out of, you know, the, the off the naughty list? Are you just trying to make sure you're doing more good things than bad things because you just don't want him to be mad at you, but but you don't even know what it looks like to live in a deep, personal, loving relationship with God. And it says grace and peace is multiplied when you begin to understand that. And, and, and the, in fact, this particular word, talks really more about the gut and the heart than it does about the intellect. You can stack some facts up that you know about people, but the people that you really know and have a relationship with, you, you know them here too, but more importantly, you know them here. I, I know who they are. No, they would never say that. No, 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 I don't, I don't know who you're talking about, but you're not talking about that person because I have a personal relationship with them. They would never, ever, ever, ever think to do that. And see, when you know some things about God, then you're grounded in those kinds of things. But it's also this compound word. It doesn't mean to just know it. It means that you knew it through a process of discovery. It means you knew it because you spent time in a relationship. If you're close to anybody in the room. You have a spouse, or you know, you have a best friend, or maybe you're, you know, your relatives, or even your children. The to, to whatever level that you know them well, like down in here, it's because you spent time, you've had thousands of little micro conversations you've made decisions together some of them were great some of them were not so great and you had to come back and patch it up but you know some things about them because you've discovered them on the journey of doing life together that's exactly what this means it's not something you just sit and learn in a textbook it's something as you spend time you get to the place where you know that you know that you know that you know them In fact, it's when you open your Bible and you're not just reading your Bible as a piece of literature, you're recognizing that your Bible is God's words talking to you. And you're opening up your your heart so that when God's word begins talking to things in your life, you don't stop the conversation. You stop and engage the conversation. You begin to let God's word come alive. And when you do that, Hebrews chapter four says that God's word will literally climb off the page and it'll begin to speak to areas and speak to things in your life. Psalm 119 says, it's like God, the entrance of God's word. When you let God's word in your heart and you begin digesting it and you begin stopping and saying, huh, what did you mean by that, Lord? And just ponder that for a moment or two. And and then you keep on reading and you keep on uh, plowing through it. When you do that, the Bible says, Psalm 119 says that the word of God, the entrance of the word is like little light bulbs. And it starts turning on lights. You start seeing things about yourself you never saw before. You start seeing seeing things about other people, about circumstances. You start seeing things about God you've never seen before. And you can't see in any other way than for him to click a little light and show you something that you've never seen before. So here's question number one again, where do we find grace? Let me just kind of summarize it for you. We find grace in a personal relationship with the Godhead. Word Godhead is kind of big. I mean the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You need to understand some things about your heavenly daddy, how much he loves you. How, how rich his provision is. Listen, if you're a dad or a mom and you you kind of get yourself, you know, you're thinking about what you want for your kids to the point you'll sacrifice to give them a life that you never had or you want them to live to the next level. The only reason you even know how to think that way is because it's a reflection of your Heavenly Father. He thinks like that about us, like all the time. All the time. If you knew something about the Lord Jesus Christ. That Hebrews chapter one says he wasn't ashamed to call himself part of the brethren, to be able to recognize I get to be the older brother as all family comes back into the things of God. He's not ashamed of us. In fact, I don't care if you feel like, well, I'm one of the naughty little Christians. Listen to me. He loves you passionately. The Bible says he's up in heaven right now, defending you, looking for every opportunity to say, well, well, hold on. I know that, but, but you're not. let me work with him a little more. You've got to understand. Because I'm telling you, man, I, I, I died for this guy. I died for this young lady. And I, and I wanna make sure, and, and if you don't understand some things about the Holy Spirit, we studied about him this past year. He's so passionate about spending time with you. So passionate about a personal relationship. He didn't, he didn't give two flips about you sitting with your Bible, just checking off boxes and, okay, I did my thing. And he doesn't care about that. What he cares about is the personal, the heart that you put into it. Are you opening up and are you saying, help me to understand this? He's so passionate about that, the Bible says he actually gets jealous. I mean, he actually burns with jealousy because we spend our time everywhere else and we don't even give him a shot to prove who he is to us. So where do we find grace? We find it in a personal relationship with the Godhead. Number two, how do we access grace? Second passage I should open to is Hebrews 4.16. He's talking to Christians now. So if you've accepted the Lord, he's talking to you. He says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Let me just stop. And I want you to see two things. He said, let us therefore come. So you have to come to it. It's not something that, you know, Revelation says that Jesus stands at the door and he's knocking But you have to come to the door and open up the opportunity for a relationship. You're not just going to say, Lord, I just need you to do all this stuff for me. And then you just keep watching Netflix and, you know, doing your own thing and enjoy and, and just, you know, figuring out other things to occupy your time. And you don't give him any spot. So first of all, you have to come. But here's the best word. You have to come boldly. And the word boldly is this Greek word that means without any pretense, Stop trying to be religious. Stop trying to fake it. Stop change the way you talk. Oh, God of the Bible, I cometh to you, to theeth. And stop doing all that stuff. Talk to him in your regular, everyday common language. Stop trying to convince him that you're really not as bad as you know you are in some areas. Just be honest. He knows. I mean, he knows, right? So just this whole word boldly doesn't mean just to come arrogantly, or it doesn't mean at all to come arrogantly or brashly. It means to come confidently. Be confident in where you're at and who you are, not even that you want to stay there in every area. But stop trying to be something you're not. That ruins any relationship. Just come and be exactly who you are with the Lord. Even if your first words are, I have no idea how to do this be honest with you, I don't even want to do this. I don't like doing this. I don't get anything out of this, but I know the Bible tells me this is the best way to do it and that you're this loving God. So I, I need you to walk me and teach me how to do this. Change my appetites change my appreciation. I mean, those are just vulnerable, honest, humble admissions to the Lord, which by the way, he's waiting for you to hear, not because he wants you to admit this, but because it means that you're finally opening up all the way. You're not hiding anything. You're not trying to be something you're not. You're just real with him. And he knows, and he loves you. It says, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may, and I want you to know, every time you come to the Lord, whether it's your, in, in prayer, whether it's in a worship service, whether you're driving in your car, and you just want to say, Lord, thank you for helping me through the day. I got a lot of things in front of me, and I'm, I'm sure going to need you know, some, some help from you, and, or, or you're sitting down at your devotions. Anytime you come to the Lord, you're coming to the throne of grace, and he says, we come there with purpose. You come there to walk away with two things. And let me just, I'll show it to you in a minute. But the embedded instruction is, every time you come to God, don't you dare walk away empty-handed. Now, now that's not like a a legalistic order. That's showing God's heart. I've heard a lot of Christians say, well, I did my devotions. I don't get anything out of it. I'd I'd like to talk to you about that. Because the Bible says you never encounter a living God that you don't walk away with something. And it says, so we're to come to the throne of grace. Here's why. Here's what he wants. Here's the whole whole thing set up so that you can come and you can walk away with two things, a combination of both or one over the other. You can, first of all, obtain mercy and you can find grace or discover grace. And notice this, it even gives you the throne room hours. Well, when, when's God available? Is it Sunday mornings? Does I have to wait till Sunday morning? Or it, you know, is he only available like when I'm really in a spot and, you know, and I'm and I just panicking. And then finally, you know, so, oh, look at him, poor guy. And I'll come over and help him. Here's the throne room hours to help in the time of need. And anytime you need it. Anytime you need at any level. Now, I like to think of it in worst case scenarios because it helps me to be reminded That this is all about him, not not by me. And so I think of it this way. You, You know when the throne of grace is open? When I need it the most when I've really messed up, when I'm off my game, when I've drifted and I feel like I'm 100 miles away and I feel like that I've taken his grace and thrown it in his face and I made all the wrong choices and and I didn't even feel bad about it, to be honest with you. I just knew it was wrong, so I'm trying to come back. And I mean, I got all the wrong emotions and the wrong things going the wrong direction, but that's when I need it the most. And that's when he says that I'm invited to come to the throne of grace. And listen, it's not the throne of judgment. A lot of Christians think it is. Right? So if you haven't read your Bible in a while, if you maybe just trying to come back to church and you probably think that you've got to do it right for a few times. And then he starts saying, "Oh, oh, okay. All right. Maybe you're serious now. No, no. Throne of grace is like right away. And it's the throne of grace, not the throne of judgment, not the throne of criticism, not the throne of disappointment. God made all this up. And he said, I want you to know what you're coming to. You're coming to the throne of grace. And and you need to understand that because so many Christians, even Christians that are faithful, we get into these mindsets and we go through these struggles and we start thinking that, well, you know, the grace of God, but if I would have did this and if I'd have been believing God here and if I'd have had enough faith there, if I'd have prayed in tongues, you know, all this stuff, then this wouldn't happen. But it did. And that somehow measures me. And even if it does we kind of get into this mindset that it's hard to believe that God really, really loves us. But, but I just want to open your eyes to what the Bible says. He doesn't say that God just loves you. It says that God so, so loves you. I mean, more than you can possibly understand. It's like a parent trying to tell, you know, their little elementary school kid how much they love him. I, they're, you You, you will not understand until you're a parent. And this is the way God is. God so, so loves us. In fact, let me, let me take it up another step. In spite of your imperfections and your weaknesses and your insolence and your ignorance and your, you know, and, and, your, uh, and your procrastination, God doesn't just love you, God likes you. He likes you. Jeremiah says he thinks good thoughts all the time. Now he may not like all the behavior, but he likes you. He created you. And he's invited you to come, not to the throne of judgment and criticism, come to the throne of grace. And I want you to notice, he said, we can come there and we can obtain some things. In fact, listen to Hebrews 10, uh, chapter 10, verse 19. It says, therefore, brethren, having boldness, it's that same word, the confidence. Don't kind of, you know, crawl in the back door and peek in, you know, to make sure that no angel's going to strike you down and God's not going to throw you out. And just come through the door, just walk in walk into God's presence boldly. And it says to enter the holiest of holy by the blood of Jesus. Notice what it says, by a new and a living way, which Jesus consecrated or Jesus sealed it forever for us through the veil. And that veil was his flesh. Jesus said, I, I'm going to pay the ultimate price so that everybody coming behind me, if they'll just accept the price that I paid, They can step through this curtain and walk into a relationship with God that they never have to be insecure about, never have to be afraid, even on their worst day. They can come just being honest and humble to the Lord. And here's the part you need to understand because when Jesus hung on the cross, he paid for all of your sins, listen carefully, past, present, some of you could be sitting here this morning and you're trying to wrestle with something you haven't really confessed and surrendered it to the Lord and you think because of that, he, his love, you know, you're discounted from his love. Oh, no, no. No, he's leaning in. But, but here's the best news for me at least, your future sins, paid for. It doesn't mean I have a license to sin. It means there'll never be a time that I'm gonna to have to run away from God even if I have an off day, I have an off week, I have an off month, I have an off year. There's never gonna be a time I say, see, uh, you know, he'll, he'll never let me back. Now, oh no, Jesus' blood paid for all of that so that we can have a forever relationship with God. But I want you to notice, he paid for it so that you and I could step into a relationship that's new and living. First thing that means, not the old way. The old way in the Old Testament is based on your behavior based on whether or not you checked all the boxes that were right and none of the boxes that were wrong, okay, now you're qualified to come in. And all we found out with all those books of the Old Testament was nobody could pull that off ever, except for Jesus. And he came and he died the death that he wasn't supposed to die so that we could live the life that we could never ever live. And so Jesus said, don't do it the old way. Stop being religious. Stop thinking, you know, is my behavior good? Did I do enough devotion? You know, does my heart feel like it's warm towards the Lord? And okay, then I can come and do my devotion. That's the old way. But he said, there's a new way and we walk in new way. We walk in. It's only because of what Jesus did for us. I can't qualify on my best day, but Jesus overqualified me. And so I can walk in, whether I'm just full of mud all over again, and I say, man, I did it again. I I need you to clean me up. I need you to forgive me. Or I walk in and I'm having a pretty good week. I can walk in under any pretense. That's a brand new opportunity that Jesus opened up. But I want you to, this is important, okay? It's not just a new way. It's a living way. It's not based on a rote checklist. This is a relationship. God's not looking for you to be good boys and good little girls. God's looking for you to be his little boys and his little girls. And it's a relationship, it's a living way. And this is really important we understand. Back to Hebrews four sixteen, he said, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace. Now listen to me, this, this is the best part for me. And man, when I got a hold of it, it was a game changer for my relationship with God. He said, I never want you to come and engage me, whether it's a short little prayer, or it's a time of devotion, or you're in a deeper study, or you're in a church service with other people. I never want you to come and have a connection to me that you walk away empty-handed. I'm trying to give you something that will help you. And he says, here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to come every time and I want you to obtain mercy. Now, this is important, okay? The word obtain comes from the Greek word lambano and it doesn't mean that I'm just in the area and, and I walk, kind of walk out and something's all over me. It means I have to reach out and take it. Now, this is important. I have to reach out and take something. It's available. It's the buffet line on the cruise ship. Everything on that buffet has been paid for. You can take all you want, as much as you want, but nothing will jump on your plate. You have to reach out and possess it and grab it. In fact, it actually means to see something, to take hold of it and to bring it back to yourself and possess it and own it as yours from that point forward. And notice what it says we're supposed to obtain and that's mercy. And mercy, as we all know in just everyday regular life is when you don't get some negative consequences that you definitely deserve because you said or you did the wrong thing. And there's a consequence that you should get that. But God says you can come and you can obtain, you literally can take hold of God's mercy and say, Lord, I just want to confess what I did. I want to thank you that even though I deserve it, that you're not going to give me that penalty because Jesus already paid for that. And you can, you can literally obtain this. And some of you are saying, yeah, but, but I, I kind of do that a lot. Listen, Lamentation says you get a brand new full account every single morning. Every single morning, his mercies are tip top again. And not only that, but Psalm, the Psalms tells us that his mercies endure forever. You can live 10 lifetimes and you'll never bankrupt the mercy of God. You can come every day, all day long, Up, oh, did it again, 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 and you just go through the line, and you take mercy, and you walk away knowing that you are completely forgiven, that God loves you as if you've never done anything wrong, and you're right back in the favor of God, but you have to begin to understand that, and the way you do is a relationship with Jesus. The more you do it, the first time it's like, uh... Are are you sure? You know, and you're kind of tiptoeing backwards, like let me just get out the door with this because I really need it. And then pretty soon you realize, no man, it's all it's all given to you, it's all free. Go get it. Don't spend one minute in condemnation. Don't spend one minute feeling guilty. Don't spend one minute, you know, feeling like, well, maybe I'm just not doing it well enough. Run to the Lord and obtain mercy. But not only that, he said, stick around once you'd obtain mercy and find grace. And the word grace is the word cadis, and it's where we get the same word joy in the Bible, or to rejoice, to fill yourself back up with joy, to rejoice. All of that's from the same root. And it means a gift, an unmerited, unearned, undeserved blessing or favor from the Lord. But here's what's interesting in, in the Bible. It's not just something good. It's not just you deserved, you know, something bad, but mercy, you grab mercy. And then you also discovered, oh, I didn't realize that I could just not experience the negative thing. There's a very positive thing that I could never possibly deserve. And God says, yeah, I'll I'll pardon what you did wrong, but I'll bless you with something as if you did it perfectly right, because that's what dads do. And you discover something that you need that God says, I'm going to bless you with this. Listen to me. The important part is that you understand, an important part, you understand this. It's not just something that like like an event or an item that's been given. This is one of the New Testament operative words that you see the Holy Spirit functioning in all the time. And it means that God's grace is not just a one-time gift or a very special gift in a very special circumstances. God's grace is a way of life. It's a disposition. It's kind of the the characteristic and, and the bent that the Holy Spirit has towards you and I. He wants you to obtain mercy, but he never wants you just to walk out saying, okay, I'm back to neutral. He wants you to walk out holding the blessings and the grace. And I'll tell you one of the reasons why, because Jesus paid a precious price for this. Some scholars would see it as an insult to God when we do not allow God to lavish our life with blessings because Jesus paid and worked so hard to put on such an elaborate buffet of all of the grace of God for us to say, no, I, I just don't think I deserve that. That's an insult to the grace, to the generosity to the blood that Jesus shed that we don't just freely receive what we've been given. It's like any, any dad and mom, they sacrifice and they wanna give gifts to the kids and then the kids just don't even use it. You're like, was that really worth it? I mean, did, did we make the right choice there? And God feels this way. He wants us to walk away with his grace. So grace is not just God doing a favor. Grace is a force. Grace is, is a position of favorableness that you live in with God, you always know God's looking for every opportunity to do something for you. Every opportunity to work behind the scenes so that you get a head start. You get jumped because that's what dads do for their kids. And this is what God wants us to come and obtain. And notice this, he also says, but we have to come find it, we have to discover it. And this word discover means that we, did, we have these aha moments. We're in relationship with God, we're doing life, we see something he does, we read what the Bible promises, we say, well, okay, I, I really could use that, okay, I'm just gonna step out and trust you in that. And then it starts working for us and we have these aha moments like, no way, this is actually real. And again, these happen in the time when you need them the most, not when you deserve them. The time when you're desperate for him the most. So question number two, it says, how do we access the grace of God? You come to the throne room and you obtain what's already been given. I could say it this way. You come to the throne room and you don't walk away empty-handed ever. You at least walk away with the realization God loves you and accepts you. You're clean, you're forgiven. You, you have all the mercy you need and you don't have to be embarrassed. You don't have to be shy about asking him for help, but you should also walk away holding a promise, holding a blessing. Not only did he forgive me, you know what else he said he was gonna do? I know I can't even believe this because I need it so bad. And this becomes a regular lifestyle, just a lifestyle for you. And this is what the Lord wants. Here's question number three. How often should I access grace? Let me just give you the answer on the front side and then I'll show you uh, what Jesus said and we're, we're done right here. Matthew chapter six. How often should I access grace? Listen to me, every day, not just once a day, all throughout the day, it should be a regular lifestyle for you. How often do we interact with those people that we love? Let's just say it's your spouse. Let's just say it's a business partner. How often do you need to meet with and interact and exchange with to have a healthy, thriving, fulfilling relationship every day, all day long, as often as you can in real time? That's what you should do with God. And this is what the Bible's instructing us to do. In fact, this is exactly what Jesus was preaching about as I closed this morning in Matthew chapter six. This is his longest published sermon, but it's also the most popular sermon. You may have heard of it. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew chapter six, this is what Jesus said. He said, that's why I'm telling you not to worry about everyday life. Now, and, and the word worry there doesn't mean don't pay attention to what's going on in every life. You know, just live in denial because you're super spiritual and we're, we're out here in inspiration land. He said, no, no, pay attention, but don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. The, the Greek word mimnano. It means don't be anxious. Don't be stressed out. Don't spend one minute, you know, walking around in the middle of the night, wringing your hands. Oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Don't, don't ever do that. If you do that, come to the throne and obtain mercy and get grace. But he, Jesus said, don't, I'm telling you not to worry about everyday life. Once you notice, this is like everyday stuff. This is what's happening in the news. This is what we're looking at in, you know, on social media posts and what we're hearing from our jobs in the marketplace. Don't worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and, you, and enough drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? And let me just give you the answer to get us in the flow. The answer is yes. Life's definitely about more than the house you live in and the car you drive and the clothes you wear and how rich your your diet is, you know, and whether you get to go out to eat all that. It's definitely about more than all that stuff. He says, um, but he said, look at the birds, they don't plant, they don't harvest, they don't store foods in barns for or because your heavenly father feeds them. And here's a the, here's the question. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? By the way, that's not rhetorical. You should stop and ask yourself. I mean, ask your real self down inside. It's obvious God does this for the birds, right? Nobody's out there taking care of the birds. They're being taken care of by the, by the Lord. And God's asking you a question. Don't you think you're more valuable to me than they are? You're supposed to let that sink in and answer that question, which we don't usually. We just kind of gloss over and keep going. No, no, no. Real-time relational question. Do you understand, with all the birds around the world that I'm taking care of, do you understand that I love my children more than these birds? And as soon as you get the yes answer, you can keep reading. And it goes on and says, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Again, not rhetorical. Think about the things that you're stressed about. Think about the things that you're anxious about. Think about the things that are causing you to kind of whittle down whatever you felt like the Lord was going to do in your life and was doing your life. Think about the challenges that you just keep skirting around because you don't even know how to unpack them, much less to solve them. Think about that kind of stuff. He said, and you're worried and you're stressed about it. He says, is all your stressing and all your worrying and all your meeting for coffee and just talking the problem, 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 is that helping anything at any point in any moment of your life? That's not a rhetorical question. And the answer is resoundingly, not even a little bit. He goes on and he says, and why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field or the flowers and how they grow. They don't don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. And it's an opportunity to say, I agree. Then, then, why do you have so little faith? Again, not rhetorical. Listen, these are not theological questions; they're relational questions. If you really believe that your father, your parent, loves you more than he loves his grass, his lawn, more than he loves his pets, more than he loves you know these other frivolous endeavors that are you know they're just kind of that we're, we're cutting them, we're throwing them, or, you know it, it. But if he loves you more then that's where your relationship will be founded. But if you don't stop and you don't let this relational stuff get real with God, then we can talk about coming to the throne room, obtaining mercy and finding grace all we want. You'll, you'll never understand it because you've got it in some religious mechanic, not in a real relationship with God. And this is what he's trying to get us to understand. Here's, here's where we finish up. He says, so don't worry about these, these and he really he's talking about practical everyday things. Saying, well, what are we going to eat? Or what are we going to drink? Or what are we going to wear? Or let me just keep going. Or how are we going to survive inflation in 2023? What about the food shortages? What if we really can't get food? And how are we going to store it? And are we buying enough extra right now that we, we, can, we can start? What about if we have future pandemics? Somebody said there was a measles outbreak. And what, what if we can't survive this stuff? What if we go into a war? What if the politics get all messed up? And the cancel culture and the, the social agenda? What if all those things? What if, what if, what if? And this is what he's talking about. These are not ethereal. These are real practical issues that were happening in their life and they're happening in ours. He says, why should we worry about this stuff? And here he makes a clear statement. He said, these things dominate the thoughts of the unbelievers. Whoa. What if I'm a believer and they dominate my thought? Yeah. That's something that should be addressed. You should say, why am I so insecure about that? I've got a bigger strategy. I've got a bigger knife. I've got bigger promises based on a bigger and a better covenant. I, I know how to access this stuff. How come I'm constantly living in the same kind of fear, and the same kind of backward-leaning position that people who don't believe in don't know God? He goes and he says, but your heavenly father already knows all, your, all that you need. Okay, so we're clear what not to do. Don't worry. Don't get caught up in anxiousness and fear and stress. But what should we do? And verse 33 is the most popular one. He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Some translations say, seek first the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God, that word kingdom, basileia in the Greek, is not talking about a geopolitical uh, place. It's not talking about just heaven. It's not talking about you know certain places on the earth where the church is. It's talking about the sovereign authority, that God the Father has over everything and everybody. Listen, he says, seek to understand that first. Put that first priority. Keep reminding yourself, listen to me, God's in charge of everything. God's real. And God loves me. He's my heavenly father, and he's in charge of all of this. Seek first the kingdom of God above all else, listen, and live righteously. This is what I told you at the beginning, where it talked about righteousness, I said, we're going to come back to that and live righteously. This is a word that's just not talking about your behavior. It's really talking about your state of mind or or your understanding where your place is. Because it means you have to know who you are in God's kingdom and in God's family. When you know who you are and you know what rightfully belongs to you as a child of the heavenly father, and you know how to access that, then listen, you'll have no confidence problem saying, oh yeah, well, that's mine, that's mine. I I love it, I'll be in a meeting or something here at the church, and, um, and I used to experience it with my kids when they were growing up, now mostly it's my grandkids. And I'll be at a meeting and maybe Graham, you know, one of my grandsons, he gets out of the preschool class and he gets down the hall ahead of mom and dad who's picked him up and he'll come straight, you know, into the the offices where their office is next to mine. and, And he sees my office light on, he'll just open the door and come in. And I'm like talking to somebody, right? And I'm like, hey, Graham. But let me tell you why he does that. You know, he's still learning some protocols, but let me tell you his confidence that he's loved by his papa. By his papa's always glad to see him. I don't care what's going on. Papa will drop anything and turn around and wrestle with Graham and mess it. He, he's so confident about that. It never even occurs to him at this stage of development that I that there's a reason why he shouldn't open the door. So he just opens, the door comes right on. Sometimes he goes to my little fridge and gets a little soft drink and starts going through the snack thing. And, and people I'm talking to are like, uh, are we done or... I'm like, no, no, he, he's, he's getting set up. You'll, you'll be okay. And we just keep talking. Listen, you should be that way with God. When you know who you are and you know what is really available to you. I'm not talking about inspiration. I'm talking about legitimate, tangible God. We're gonna need this. We're gonna need a bigger sword this year. We're gonna need a bigger knife. We're gonna need a bigger strategy. We're gonna need a, a better strategy for our finances. We're gonna need maybe a little bump in pay, a little increase, or we're gonna need, we're gonna need some health. We're gonna need you to heal us from some stuff to strengthen us, get us back in tip-top shape again. We need you we need to fix our mirror, whatever it is. You're a child of the living God. This is real-time stuff. And this is really how you access it. The answer to question number three, how often should we do this? We should do it every day, all day long. Anytime you need, you should run into the throne room of God. Now, let me let me just give you these last two little parts. Take me about three minutes, okay? That's why we're doing 30 for 30. This is not a cute little religious exercise that we're gonna do as a church. This is to give us a tune-up. For some of you, this is the first time that you're gonna to begin to understand what it means to have not just a religious devotion, but a real-time relationship experience with us. Not anything weird, not anything spooky, but something that'll just galvanize you in your core so that you're not afraid anymore. So you don't have to wonder whether God loves you. Listen to me. You don't have to wonder whether God has a bright future for you. As long as we're living on the earth, our best days, our most victorious days are right in front of us because God never stops winning. We don't stop winning. These are promises of the Lord. And so grab one of these cards. It's super explanatory. It walks you through in baby steps, whether you've never done it before or you've you've done it, but you could use a tune-up. You could use to be strengthened. Then walk through this. In addition to that, Every Wednesday night for the month of January, right here in the sanctuary, there's going to be a class that will just walk you through the practicals. There's going to be some tips and some kind of instruction and points, but then then you get an opportunity to kind of just do it and get a feel for it. We want your hands to get in it. And so I, I would recommend Brandon and Jenny, Pastor Brandon and Jenny, rather, they, they've been doing this faithfully for years. I used to tease Brandon. Brandon's devotions are like the sun. If you can count on anything happening in the morning, you can count on the sun coming up and Brandon being at some Starbucks somewhere or at the table with his Bible open and in prayer with the Lord. He's so dependable, but that's not something that just happened. He's developed that over years and he's gonna share some very practical things as a dad with four kids. So time is not, you know, sometimes a luxury. He's gonna share with you, what does that actually look like? And begin to help you. I'm telling you, invest four Wednesdays, it'll change your life because you're going to begin to learn what that looks and feels like. All right, last thing as we close the service. You all should have picked up one of these little communion cups. Now listen to me. Communion is in fact an acknowledgement and a celebration of what Christ did. He actually died on the cross. This is a historical fact. Nobody's arguing about this. Not even people that don't believe that Jesus is the savior. Nobody's arguing about this. Historically, Jesus actually lived on the earth. He actually died on a cross. But Jesus said the reason that he died is the most important thing, and that is to provide physical, emotional, mental, relational healing for you and I because we live in a pretty tough world. And he's going to ultimately, we'll be super healthy and everything will be perfect in heaven. But until we get there, we've been given a divine health package. It's up to you whether you obtain it. It's up to you whether you lean in and you say, yeah, we, we need that. Our family needs that. The flu's going around. Yep, it can go right around me because Jesus paid for me. Jesus promised me that I could live in his protection. Even if it didn't do the first time, I'm just learning to get better and better and better so that I can walk in health. This is what the Bible promises. Not only that, but there's a little juice part and this represents the blood where jesus sealed it he signed this contract with us this covenant with us in blood and today we're not just going to do it as a remembrance and an acknowledgement we're going to do it as a first step on the first sunday of the first day of 2023 we're going to come boldly to the throne room of god and we're going to say lord i don't just believe you did this i'm i'm this morning i'm acknowledging you did it for me all of this belongs to me personally. For some of you, that's really awkward. It doesn't matter. It still works. And we're, we're gonna receive this together and I'm gonna walk you through it in just a minute and I'm gonna have you to repeat some things, repeat them from your heart. And then we're gonna close up in a worship song uh, in a time of devotion together. If you're here and you've never accepted Jesus, what a better day, right? Wanna start a better year? What a better way to do it. So we'll help you to accept Jesus first time or first time in a long time. You can rededicate yourself. In fact, as you're walking through communion, some of you have been teetering with the idea, ah, oh, I missed the baptism. I really need to do that. We'll, we'll baptize you before you leave today. We've got clothes. we got towels. we got everything you need. And so spontaneous, if you just want to say, that's me, we'll jump you in the tank and we'll let you start uh, the first day of the year. But let's let's open this up and grab that little wafer on the top. Don't worry, it's not going to ruin your lunch. The Bible says that when Jesus took stripes on his back, he did it for one reason only, so that he could be put in pain. His body could be could be abused so that our body doesn't have to suffer abuse, so that our, our emotions, so that our minds, so that our relationships... All of that's covered under the stripes of Jesus. Did you know that Jesus could have been crucified so that we could have eternal life and not took stripes on his back and it was still satisfied God? We could have still all gone to heaven, but we couldn't have gone to heaven healed. We couldn't have lived here on earth with a confidence that no matter how great the pandemics are, no matter how much as we're aging, we can see our bodies begin to break down, that we can still live in the optimum health for the stage of life we're in so we could finish our course and we could live in strength and do what God's called us to do. All of that is why Jesus was excruciatingly uh, in pain and why he was brutally beaten so that we could experience health and healing. As we take this wafer this morning, if you have anything in your life or in your family that needs healing, uh, mentally, emotionally, relationally, physical body, listen to me, speak that out to the Lord. Lord, I'm taking this I'm accepting the mercy and the grace of God for healing in my life. And specifically, this is what I need. Make sense? Let's take this together. We've taken this in faith. Lord, we just declare in the name of Jesus that your anointing would sweep through the place, that we would see signs and wonders and miraculous healings, Lord. Some of them happening right now today, that people that are reaching out to you in faith, that your mercy would flood to them, and that you would begin to heal and restore them in every area, physically, relationally, emotionally, mentally, Lord, that you would bring them back up again, real time, Lord. Not just feel better, but be better. In Jesus' name, we command every sickness, every disease, every malady, every virus, every relational thing that's attacking, we command you to bow your name to the name of Jesus. We speak freedom in Jesus' name. Open your the, the little juice part here. Whatever it is that you just were asking the Lord for, You say, how do we know it's true? Because he sealed the contract in his own blood. He signed it, not with a piece of paper, not with a pen, but he signed it with his own blood. And the Bible tells us over and over again, this blood forever seals this contract for us. And how do we know that God's telling the truth? Because Jesus paid for it and sealed it in his blood. So as you're drinking this this morning, I I just want you to whisper, Lord, I thank you that the blood of Jesus covers every area of my life. It washes all of my sins away so that even if I still feel guilty, doesn't matter. In heaven, I'm not guilty anymore. Jesus paid for it. But I also want to thank you, Lord, that this blood reminds me that you'll never lie to me. If you said it, you're able to back it up and you're anxious to back it up. So I'm taking this as the proof, as the validation, as the signature on the contract that you'll do what you promised you would do. All right, let's drink this. Father, you said come boldly, just like we are, in confidence. Whatever level we're at, whatever understanding we have, we're supposed to just come without pretense. And we've come to your throne today. We've received of your bread, your body. We've received of your blood. And I thank you in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit. The rest is up to you. In Jesus' name, come and convince us now. Come and introduce yourself afresh and anew, personally, so that we can not live in this year in defeat. We can not live in worry. We can not live in confusion and in want. But Lord, we can live in victory, and we can live in an intimacy in a relationship with you that you all the all the long, you've longed for and you've planned for. Come and convince us, Holy Spirit. Work signs and wonders in our lives and in our midst today.